What's up, everybody? Guys, it is Jordan from the Exalto Holistic Hub coming to you with episode six of the Exalto Experience. Now, today's episode is with a great mate of mine, an incredible mentor to Nicola and myself, and also a lot of people that are connected to him through Real Movement and just his inner circle. Now, this man, Lyndon Holzheimer, is an incredible man with a massive impact in our world. Uh, He is a thought leader within FEND Movement, the non-for-profit organization that is creating more awareness around prescription medications and the life or death scenario that we're talking about with opioids and the potential link to also illicit drug abuse. Now, this is a massive conversation because we go through Lyndon's upbringing and basically the challenges he's overcome who he has who he has created today as his identity and what that role plays within this amazing company and in helping so many thousands of people get educated into how to live a healthier life but also make educated and informed decisions to prevent deathly situations in their lives now this is a massive point for me because i have had a history of drug abuse and a history of I guess, trauma and damage in my life that was caused due to drugs. And it wasn't just illicit drugs. I had plenty of time taking prescription medication, painkillers, sleepers, all that stuff when I had my injuries growing up. So this one hit home. Now, if you've ever taken a sleeping tablet, a painkiller, if you've taken illicit drugs before, if you've got kids or family members or, you know, loved ones taking this stuff, this is definitely a podcast for you. So be sure to reach out to Fend Movement on Instagram and check out their stuff. And we have some incredible things coming up in the pipeline. They're about to launch in Australia in 2020. So we have an incredible collaboration between Exalto and Fend that we're excited for. And I am so grateful that I got to have this conversation with Lyndon and very excited for what to, what's to come. So thank you for tuning in. As always, if you know of any of your loved ones or someone that you know that could benefit from listening to this episode, reach out to them, share this episode, and it could truly have an impact on their life. So thank you all very much. Episode six, Lynn and Holzheimer. Let's go. All right, we're on. We're on. Mr. Holzheimer. All right, mate. Very good. How are you? Awesome. <laughs> What's happening? It's all happening. It's all happening. It's always all happening. How's your day been? Been epic, thank you. It's good. Started out with a game of cricket. Um, Early game of cricket. Eight AM cricket net session. <laughs> with? Um, a really, really interesting guy that's probably going to start hanging out and doing some stuff with us. Oh yeah. Um, I haven't played cricket for six years, so my shoulder's going to be sore tomorrow. But it's fun. You know, I'm a fan of doing things that you stop doing. So it was nice to get out and uh, have an early net session. We only lasted like 40 minutes because it was brutally hot, but that's another story. Yeah. But yeah, what better way to start the day than up at Ballinger Road, Rentry Little Cricket Club on the Sunshine Coast. Awesome. How many years have you lived on this earth, Lyndon? How many years have I lived on the earth? Uh, so, 34. 34. Mm. It's one thing that inspires me about you is you know, at your age how many kids you got four four partner busy dad life but you're always out there doing you have to <laughs> yeah it's so good <laughs> oh, i get inspired i'm 26 no kids you know, yeah yeah true <laughs> got me there yeah so you know it's good to know that i guess you're a big inspiration for me in that th- sense is always stepping outside the norm and just go on and do stuff be active do things that you're not used to doing in your day-to-day routine and you know tap back into that child mindset you know play be more playful learn more things absolutely like i was saying it 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 got driven home again recently when i was speaking to an artist and i was admiring a painting she'd done like not even painting drawing i was like whoa like how long you been drawing for and she's like well when did you stop i was like preschool you know graphics I suppose at school but that wasn't creative drawing that was monkey see monkey do so yeah that's something that uh, I have tried to do not tried I have done 
in the past, but it was cool to have that reminder again of what are the things that we stopped doing just because we've stopped doing. So yeah, I'm a fan of uh, dragging people into doing this, as you know. Mm, yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's good. There's nothing like jumping on that BMX, going on that pump track. <laughs> I don't think I've done that since... The last time I would have rode a pushy like that would have been high school, I reckon. So mm. that would have been a good nine or ten years since I'd been to a pump track. Yeah. That was some of the best fun I've had in the last five years. There so. we go. Exactly. Awesome. So give me a bit of a rundown of Lyndon Holzheimer. Bit sure. of a backstory, what you're doing, where you've been. Cool. So listening. I was born at a pretty early age. Um. <laughs> you are born at a pretty early age? Yeah. <laughs> Grew up in a, uh, born in Toowoomba, so a couple of hours inland from here. Um, lived in Pittsworth, which is another sort of 40 k's west of, uh, of Toowoomba, town of like 2,000 people. Um, my dad was a builder, still is. Um, went to school there. My you know, earliest recollection in um, preschool, I guess it's called prep or kindy now, was going to school dressed up as what you want to be when you're older day, which I often talk to people about that. People have, usually that's a memory, you know, even if people don't remember a lot from their childhood, they'll, that's something that sticks out. So for me, that sort of charted my life path from that day. I'd been on job sites. I remember climbing on a roof, apparently when I was, I don't know, three or four, like climbing up, hanging out there, you know, picking up roof screws. So it was kind of set for me that my, my uh, path was set I was going to be a builder um, he's really good at, I guess athletics like pretty gifted first couple of years I won everything through to sort of year four five um, then had a it's really funny I had a traumatic experience but not in the sense that when I look back now it's actually hilarious and that really shaped the course of the next you know, 10-15 years of my life where we lived, we sold that house and we did a big move. We moved to the block next door. <laughs> but we had to build that house on a new block. So this is, um, how old was I then? I remember what age. Moved, sweet. I had a parsley garden, which I was super proud of. And the guys that bought the new place, that, that took it over, had two sons. They were like, yeah, sweet. You grew it, you know, help yourself whenever. So as time went by, all good. Parsley was growing, I went over there to get some one day. And their dad come out and just started railing on me. What are you doing in the yard? What are you doing in the garden? And I froze. And instead of speaking my mind and saying, well, actually the boys said it's sweet, I just, I bailed. I went and hid under the house for a couple of hours with my parsley. So we talked chatting about hindsight before we jumped on here. Like looking back on that now, Pretty much most of the pain I caused myself in my life through young teen, high school age years, even into the first three, four years of, of being out of school, I can almost track back to that conversation. And most of those situations track back to me not speaking my mind. So that's a big, I guess a big component why now I'm like, I couldn't do, there's no way I would have been able to do this. I sent Kerrig, you know, my brother, he used to go to Video Easy to get the videos for me. Because I, <laughs> I couldn't do, I couldn't do the one-to-one. He'd get my tuck shot for me as well. I couldn't do the personal, the one-to-one interaction. The fear of a situation arising where I couldn't speak my mind. Which is repeating from that trauma. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Knowing what I know now, you know, that program just, uh, or, or the fear of that program running, really, uh, really charted my life. So... Um, because of that though when I reflect on it that sent me down a, an interesting path I guess of internalising a lot of stuff but that sort of meant I went down the middle even through high school right of when everything was happening over here on the people going that way left people going right I sort of went down the centre so I didn't get I didn't put myself in their situation. you mean like play it safe like yeah yeah you know, kind not of sitting on a fence kind of thing kind of yeah um, you know both my parents, they didn't play sport. Like you know, taking a taking a, a path of excellence in sport isn't wasn't something they got to experience. And knowing what I know now, you know, we were brought up along similar lines. So I used to be really negative on that. That 
I didn't get the chance to play cricket for Australia or to play basketball. I made the rep teams every single year through high school. I made um, Darling Downs and State Athletics every year for Jackal and I've still got records and stuff at the school, but I never pursued that. But I never, same deal, the reason I didn't pursue it is because I didn't want to speak, speak out my mind. So no, I'm good at that. I need to go do that. Yeah, like it was like a full commitment thing to yeah. yourself. Yeah. I was just like almost addicted to internalizing stuff. Yeah. To the wow. point. Does that, that I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, so instead of taking the, you know, some of my part, some of my friends went down the drugs, alcohol path. Sweet. That was that was what they chose. Others, yeah, they crushed it. One girl, um, she went to the Olympics for judo. Like so, um, instead of though being bitter nowadays, and you mentioned kids at the top of the conversation, it's for us. It's about exposing them, and to me still. Um, not living through the kids because I don't believe in that but actually giving them the opportunity to say hey pick something that is your source of energy and go after that and we'll support you what do you want like speak you really educate your kids to speak their mind and do what they want to do understanding emotions and that's something we've you know I think should be taught in schools that it's not understanding how to communicate with people understanding how people learn so that you can actually communicate Mm. um that stuff is, uh, you know, we talk about stuff we wish we knew when we were younger. Um, being able to just speak about your emotions and even speak about that, you know, from a really early age, it's something we've instilled in our kids where it doesn't matter what it is, you can speak about it. It's, mm. it's better to speak about it than internalize 100%. it. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an important point with the trauma because I guess there's a stigma around trauma that it has to be abuse or a massive crazy event in your life or you know something that is is really catastrophic that people think oh it's traumatic but it can be as simple as a young kid in a backyard taking parsley taking his parsley and then that's created this pattern of like avoidance of conflict or speaking your own word from a mat repeating and playing out at what age did you really take an awareness to that trauma replaying and, and start to think, okay, hold on, why is, why is this creating a result and, and how can I start to overcome this? Like, what changed? So, year six, seven, I played tennis at a decent level and uh, I, could, I stopped playing because my back. I was having all these problems with my back. This was grade seven, so what's that now? 12, I guess? 13, yeah, 11, 12. 11, 11, 11 yeah. 12. And got diagnosed with early something onset of Sherman's disease, which essentially just your disc wear at a much faster rate, chews up your discs faster, et cetera, et cetera. And I was advised that I needed to um, do something about my core, you know. Well, well they didn't even say it in, in, in there's that many words, I suppose. It's like you've got to go and get stronger. You know, lifting yeah. weights, working out wasn't something that I was fit. As a kid, yeah, skated, rollerblade, BMX, but but actually taking Built care, some stability. absolutely that yeah. like, stability. So, I went and started training with a lady up in Pittsworth. Um, she had a PT studio, and that was sort of my introduction to PT. And then seeing the benefits for me, ending up, you know, sorted, no back pain, decent posture, some abs. <laughs> um, then that was a catalyst to go. Hang on, I I got an interest in that. If that's helped me. I think I could help some other people with this. So I went off and did my cert three and four. I did it by correspondence though, so it was too scary to go to the Gold Coast. Um, so I did, uh, it was Australian Institute of Fitness, I mm. guess back when they, yep. were, they were pumping out PTs. AIF. AIF, yep. <laughs> it wouldn't have been eight weeks though, it would have been how long? No, Six well, months, well for me, being by correspondence, it was quite some time, but I got yeah. to the end of it, and then it's like, no, you gotta come down for six weeks. Crap. Yeah. Surfers Paradise. So here's me, super conservative, down the middle. Yeah, I've been to surfers before, but for family holidays. It was all right. I had to go down there and, and, and spend a bunch of time. So that was the catalyst. That was the turning point. Having to drive down, number one, get out my comfort zone. Go down, and I still chat with one of the trainers today, Lockie Horner. Um, but these guys meeting us at the door, I was convinced. I'd heard the stories about the Gold Coast, living in the bush. I was convinced these guys were taking something. I'd never experienced someone so positive, so just the energy in that place was just unbelievable. Yeah. So that was it, walking into that, feeling like a fish out of water for the first week, 
second week, uh, start to open up, talk to people. By the end, it was like, okay. <laughs> they talked about Bob Proctor. They talked about some of these people. So that was really, you know, not heaps, but there was quotes. There was, you know, that was really my slap in the face to then go, wait. One of the, one of the I clearly remember it, big time Ben. Um, <laughs> I don't know what his actual real name was, but that was it. His, his thing was all about, you know, you can choose. And that was the breakthrough for me. Oh, wait. You can change. These guys are actually choosing to be like this. Yeah. It's not, they're different. So, yeah, that was the catalyst, is going down, doing that cert three and four, having that breakthrough of, wait a minute, which that would just set the chain, you know, set the ripple in the pond. So with it. It's like the realisation that, oh, okay, I'm, I don't have to live the way that I've, yeah. you know, been exposed to. I can actually make conscious changes. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So, yeah, that really set off the ripple effect for me in, in all areas, looking at um, what I was doing as a career. Why was I being a builder? Because mm, my dad was a builder. Mm. So that set me up down that path of, do I really want to do this? So um, I discovered, yeah, more of uh, Tony Robbins, you know, the, the usual suspects of, uh, of self-development. And it kind of went from there. I kind of... St- found, started to build the self-confidence through personal development of, I always knew I had it inside me, right? That was part of the frustration. <laughs> I love that. This is so good. I always knew it. Yeah. I always knew I would, I would, and you'd have those internal dialogues. Oh, I'm gonna, you know, you'd have that conversation. Yeah. There's like the spark that 100%. you know is inside of you and you just gotta listen to it. Yep, yeah. exactly. I yeah. relate to that a lot. And take action. So I, I knew it was there, but it took that catalyst, I guess, of getting outside the comfort zone. It's like finding um, the, the fire that ignites yeah. that, that spark, because we've all got it. We do. I see it in every single human. I guess like that's probably the growth mindset within me, is like I see every spark. I'm like, you have it. Yeah. You have the potential. You've just got to find the flame. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you find the flame, like just crank that baby up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Listening to your spark. Absolutely. So... I guess that, before that, I was convinced I was going to finish up and join the army. I was going to finish up building just because I was angry. And I was like, you know. Good place to go and just spend some anger. Uh, absolutely. You know, <laughs> yeah. a- absolutely. I feel like there's a lot of young men that, that could con- consider that. Potentially, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but it was right around then I met Jackie, who's now my, uh, my wife and mother to my awesome kitties. And, yeah, I mean, she she's partly responsible for, for turning me around because I wasn't in a good place when I met her at all. Just because I still wasn't able to... I knew where I wanted to go, but I still was having trouble actually speaking, you know, speaking on emotions, which I think um, lots of guys listening to this can probably attest to. That, uh, especially those of my era, I'm 34, so it's good to see now, you know, top-down professional sports, other people actually starting to talk about the challenges of, of speaking out and speaking about your emotions, but that was a real battle for me. Yeah, learning to share your emotions, especially 100%. with your partner is a big thing. 100%, eh? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And tune in, because that's, that's like the feminine energy with the masculine energy, and I feel like a lot of men in today's, in our day and the stigma, we don't want to tune into the feminine energy because it's yeah. seen as weak or yeah. emotional, Yeah. but we're emotional beings like 100%. emotion is energy in motion and most men have a lot of energy and a lot of motion and if you tune into what your emotions are there's like gold nuggets there's the access the keys to success in there you got to listen to what your happiness is and it yeah. will take time to work through those emotions like a good partner will show you that i've had partners in the past who i didn't listen to i just didn't i was like nah you're emotional i don't want to do it but now you know fortunate enough to find a partner that I actually am learning to listen and learning to process and then you know that that opens up the point where I can process my own emotions and be in a space where it's accepted to be tapping into that feminine side of yourself. You just mentioned mentioned listening one of the big things that we're um, building into the kids is listen to understand listen to understand to understand not to respond whereas that was me for a long time, even in relationships, was I already knew what I was going to say before someone had finished saying it. But mm. that's something so you know, not pushing hard on the kids, but just having them understand that the pair are listening, listening to understand someone versus just listening to blurt your response out. 
Mm. So you discussed going through some personal development, Mm -hmm. you know, how that's shaped you in a way and and where has that kind of brought you through like it's brought you through a few jobs yeah what's what's mainly yeah, been so, the go so uh, finished up building um dad retired so pretty much finished up i'd uh, tried to get into some property development like building when i look back on it i used to i went through this stage of it felt like it was a waste of time but it's actually really valuable when i actually look back on it um, the same processes that i learned from you know being yelled at as the apprentice if you didn't have the thing ready to hand up it's the same process you need to apply to business <laughs> that needs to be ready or you're not going to get yelled at but you know there's, there's complications or or, uh, or challenges so um, finished up building um, found my way into uh, selling software to truck ag and earth moving dealers uh, predominantly in South Australia in Victoria Tasmania that was tough because it was one week here, one week away. I had wife and one, almost two kids at that point. So that was challenging, but I knew I needed to do it to develop a new set of skills. To Sales. A hundred percent. And that served me so well, learning to sell software. Now you gotta remember this is in, we've been up here six years, three before that. This is coming up nine, 10 years ago. Selling software to second-hand truck ag and earth moving dealers who are the average age of 50 to 55. It's a pretty steep learning curve into the art of selling. <laughs> but it's listening and problem solving, which I was good at that. You know, Building is solving problems. That doesn't look right. Okay, let's done. You know, critical thinking, building, being able to see something, look at a 2D plan and go, yeah, I see exactly. Actually, that's not going to work. I can already tell you. By looking at that in 2D, I can see what it's going to look like in 3D. You're not going to like that. Mm. So it's funny looking back on each of the each of the things. So I then met a um, young guy from the Gold Coast who was making a career for himself in BMX, and I helped him for a couple of years, which I'm really grateful for that experience. Because what were you doing with him? Just I guess mentoring, okay. helping I guess helping out in the role that a, manager, like a support manager would play. Yeah, um, for the first little bit, and then he's gone on to do some pretty awesome things off his own back. That was really cool. That gave me insight into another world. I've always been interest, interested in extreme sports, which is why I was excited to to do some stuff with Kyle. Um, but that really got me interested because that was a look into what's happening around the sponsorship, promotions, partnerships world in extreme sports with different brands and endorsements. So that's something that really puzzled me and fueled my thinking on why, why is some of this happening like this? Like how do companies quantify doing what they're doing? Mm. So fast forward then uh, another two years, we decided to move, the co- move up the coast, you know, up until Six years ago, I lived in the same town I grew up in. Yeah, wow. So it was it was tough. I I was doing awesome stuff, but still in that environment of I love it back there, but I knew I couldn't. I knew I couldn't, couldn't stay grow. to go. Yeah, I, I couldn't grow. Uh, so moving down here, Kerrod and I decided to start our own um, software company and started working with mobile app software. So that's six years ago. We were some of the first ones to do like white labelable mobile apps in Which is in Australia. So there was a company called Biz Business Apps, Biz Apps. They were like the Wix or WordPress of apps, where you could go and create your own, or you could have a, a um, agency or someone create something for you and then hand it on to you. So instead of a website, it was a say Exalto branded app which okay, people yeah. could check in there was cool features right and you cool. and you paid them to create an app for you so you yeah, have to yeah. build it we, yourself we, we sub-licensed that white label sort of means sub-licensed yep. so sub-licensed their software so we could go out and, and sell it so uh, moving down here that was it I was thrown into I had to sell apps um, so it was hitting the hitting the streets of the Sunshine Coast, talking to businesses, asking them what are they doing around connecting with their customers, what do they know about their customers, what's your loyal, you know, how are you creating more loyal customers, because they were sort of the, the features that uh, the technology had. We built that up to close to 300 customers, Kerry and I, over a period of two and a half, three years. And we were based out at the Innovation Centre at the university, 
for those of you not familiar, University of Sunshine Coast here has sort of an incubator or innovation hub off the side of it. And we were renting some office space in there. And that's where I met my now co-founder in uh, Preventum. Is, yeah, Steve was sitting out there drinking coffee one day. He invested into some espresso bars and they were, they were running some coffee out, out there. He was sitting out there drinking his morning coffee and reading the paper. And we struck up a conversation and <clears throat> hit it off. He'd just finished doing some, he was working in Africa. <clears throat> Excuse me. Go for it. <laughs> Wet the whistle. Absolutely. He was working in Africa on some solar lighting stuff, which is pretty incredible. Lighting refugee camps with solar technology. He'd just come back from that. And I was sharing with him what we'd been doing around this concept of gamification or rewarding people for doing certain things. Uh, he thought that was really interesting. So we struck up a friendship to start with and then decided we'd, we wanted to do something together, business-wise. And that's sort of the origins, that those early conversations, having a conversation then later with Jackie, who you guys have met as well, is a super integral part of what we're doing. It was her original questions around this concept of mobile technology, we see it being used for all the wrong things. <laughs> what about using it for something like injury prevention? Could, could you use this technology to help educate parents in a way that's not been done before to try and get a different result? Mm. So that was Positive a, use of absolutely. something that is such a strong energy source, like instead of thinking, telling people to get off their phones, yeah. just being aware of the fact that there is a lot of use of phones these days, how can we use this as an education source? 100%. Yeah. So that was really the origin of where the company, uh, Preventum, started was those early conversations and we chose to say yes to those questions and say, you know what, I think we can. I think we can create something that hasn't been created before that looks at important health issues, important topics that I guess when you think about education, outside of the schooling system, outside of universities, usually there's sort of two levers for organisations or governments to pull. They can legislate, let's put seatbelts in cars, create legislation, you know, re reduces fatalities. Um, or there's, you know, raise the price of cigarettes. Or They've only got education or legislation, they're the two levers to push and pull. Traditionally, education has sort of been done in a one-size-fits-all type approach in the world of public health. Obviously marketing which is what we believe, Which is what, what kind of style of education? Like for instance, how does it how does how do you believe the government has tried to educate people? Yeah, so there's a lot of focus put on making sure uh, everything they do is backed by evidence. But then on the other side of that is relevance. <laughs> so that's where the disconnect is right now with governments and bodies of authority that are trying to educate people is there's this key of relevance that's missing whether that's they're putting their information out in places where the attention simply isn't whether it's written as a 15 page pdf when that audience likes to watch nine second videos at a time mm. so that's the problem that we've undertaken with preventing to solve it's about we'll learn differently as people. We're all motivated by different things. It doesn't make sense to do a one-size-fits-all, here's what you need to know, and try and have everyone understand the message the same way, deliver it on the same medium. It works, but you get a very low engagement rate. In the world where Uber knows what car you're gonna book before you book it, in the world where Amazon's shipping your package on Prime before you buy it, because they know within 98% chance of you're gonna buy that <laughs> in whatever time period, why are we lagging so far behind on the actual important stuff? Yeah. We should be able to make it individual so that you respond, people respond and go, you know what? Make positive changes. Absolutely, you get, take in some information, some facts that's really gonna help, you know, potential left or right decisions. That, yeah, that if Amazon can nail that online buyer, like why can't we nail the, you know, prevent, prevention method, mechanisms that help, you know, improve health and wellness and, prevent you know horrible stuff happening absolutely it's the same methods yeah. it's the same methods that amazon that all of the companies have used to uh, to engage people in their service offerings it's just prevention isn't sexy 
Mm. Yeah, right. It's not sexy and it's yeah. freaking hard. That's why that's when that's why no one's done it. So So how are you making it sexy? Yeah, what's, so it is what's a, prevent them up to it's about being relevant. So relevant in how we deliver a message. So the audience that we've been working with largely, fourteen to nineteen year olds, parents as well, are hanging out on, on their phones a lot. So what we've been able to do is have them hang out on something that's relevant to them, delivered by a relevant person, but we're also using that same theory I spoke about before with the, the gaming piece or the gamification where what are their interests? If it's rugby league, let's have them work towards something that motivates them that's rugby league. If it's music, let's have them work towards a meet and greet with Simple Plan or, or whatever it might be. So tapping into that not instant gratification because that doesn't motivate everyone. It's really interesting that the generations coming through now are the most cause driven out of anyone. Mm. So they really care about the bigger care. picture. Absolutely, but we've got to give them good things to care about, and we've got to serve those things in a relevant way and a relevant medium that they're participating in. So, what we're up to right now is we've been working with the different levels of government in the US for the past couple of years around the challenges they all have over there with the prescription painkillers, they'd be called here, or opioids is the term over there in the US. See, I, I, I was challenged by this at the start when you first said there's an opioid, opioid crisis. I honestly thought, because what's the opioid, the uh, poppy, uh, you know, overseas, like a, I honestly thought it was a thing in the field. Like opium. Yeah, yeah opium. what you think of when yeah, you hear so, opioid. So yeah. when you said opium, opioid crisis, I was like, okay, so you're talking that kind of drug, but I didn't realise you were actually talking about prescription yeah. pain meds or downers or whatever it is like Xanax yeah. Valium and all that stuff now I, then when I made the the switch to thinking oh wow this is what you mean people are being just prescribed in pharmacies and that and yeah. the effect that it has on our world it's like holy shit mm. it's it's interesting because you're not alone in that most people in the US don't know what the term opioid means yet that's that's the brush that it's been painted with, right? That, mm. That's the term that's, that's sort of been adopted. So that's part of the education that we've done. What is an opioid? What's, what's, what's I guess, the more slang or relevant term for opioid? Is it painkiller? Is it prescription med? Pills. Is it pills? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just pills out of the packet that you can get on the, sh- you know, the shelf. Is it just Woolies? Is it like in supermarkets or is it mainly in pharmacies? It's pharmacies. So it's, it's here in Australia, it's much better. And it's, it's difficult to talk about this sometimes, Jordan, because we always get lumped into a, oh, you don't like medicine. Oh, you're beating up the doctors. No, 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 no. <laughs> we've taken the time to understand what's going on and we're taking the time to figure out what's not known about this. And what we're simply doing is giving people the facts so that they understand so that you know what an opioid is. So mm-hmm. the next time you get prescribed oxycodone, you're aware of what it is and the potential implications of it. Um, so how it came about, so you're right, opium, morphine, that was the, that was the drug that was created, right? So the opium poppy was used to create the true natural opioid, morphine, still mm-hmm. is. Um, Lots of people can't take morphine. They get really sick on it. So well, it's intense, right? Yeah. Late, Turns your stomach inside out. Late 80s, early 90s, Purdue Pharmaceutical developed oxycodone, which was looking at what, um, what morphine out of the opium poppy and creating a synthetic version. So when we talk about opioids, it's, it, it's the synthetic. That's where the challenge is. That, that's where... It's, it's prescribed for quite legitimate reasons all the time. Yeah. And so for not... instance, for me, like having the ACL reconstruction, dislocated shoulder, all the injuries I had with footy, I've been exposed to a lot of this stuff that I, th- I thought was just like painkiller. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, here, this will this will make you feel good. Yeah. I've just like doped up on all that stuff. I think, did you mention panadine? Well, oh, endone. Endone's yeah, a common one. Endone. Or, or hydrocodone. They're like yep. the big white 
white suckers. Yeah, they're in a few different forms. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I remember they were the big pill when I you know yeah. big round pills, white pills, and I used to after my ACL reconstruction like dose up on them because they'd make me feel light headed and I'd be able to sleep easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's large part of what we've done. It started, it started with prescription painkillers or opioids in the US just out of necessity. So if I go back to Preventum with Steve, Jackie, myself, over time, it had morphed into a platform where we took that approach of let's individualize information and engage people where they want to be and reward them with something relevant to them. We'd taken that on the road to the US. Steve, who, you still haven't met Steve, have you? No, I have. Oh, yeah, okay, perfect. White Um, Fox. Yeah. Um, So he's from the US, North Carolina originally. So... We, we went on the road and visited a lot of states, the Centers of Disease Control, Johns Hopkins University, the School of Public Health, and showed them what we created over here. We've done some research, obviously. Jackie is, uh, is the academic, we have three of us, and everything we've done has been validated by research, which you have to do that. Um, to get into to, government. To, to absolutely, to, to entertain any conversation with government, they want to see evidence. Also for our insanity, we know it works, but it's great to have that data, that evidence. But it was kind of heartbreaking talking to the different customers or different potential people that could use our platform. We were excited because like, we've created this thing and all these global authorities have told us, this is amazing, this is going to change the world of public health. That was the feedback we kept getting. So we're excited by that and we're in presenting to different states. We probably visited... Well, Steve did most of it, um, six or seven states over a five, six month period to, to speak with the like health and human services. It's kind of like Queensland Health here, yeah. right? Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah, like state health. Yeah, of. yeah. And sharing with them what we're doing, asking them what they're doing. Talking to them about prevention, it's kind of, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we send out two million flyers a year to educate people and tick the prevention box. I think we might need to backstep here a little bit because, like, what what are we preventing? So we're talking about opioids, but what's actually the damage of... Well, well that's what I was getting to. We, we were talking to them about what are the issues you're facing, right? Because this same approach that we've developed could be used in educating about diabetes. could be used... Whatever the issue is, sort of agnostic. And the feedback we kept getting was, guys, you've got to do something about the prescription... about the opioids. Mm. At the time, it was like 103 people a day were dying of accidental drug overdose. So you're talking about accidental deaths by taking a pain medication. Okay. Yeah. And something not, like... Not illicit drugs. No. Something like... Uh, it's either three or four. I'll have to, uh, have to fact check. We'll go three and five, but I'm pretty confident it's four and five people that shoot illicit heroin got started on a script from the doctor in the US right now. Mm. The heroin's made a huge resurgence in America because people have given this uh, Ryan we've got so many examples Ryan Mills one of the most up and coming um, promising BMXs back in the day bad injury got prescribed Oxy and you know 10-12 years later he's finally emerged he's, he's got himself together the last five years but terrible spiral down through everything off the back of being prescribed something legitimate onto harder drugs yeah absolutely yeah. yeah 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 on heroin and spent some time in prison but managed got himself clean yeah. While he's in prison. And now it's a really cool story. We're going to film a documentary with Ryan. He's now working for the Nevada State Health and Human Services. So through his affiliation with us and coming along to an event we did in, in the US, he met the Health and Human Services folks. So the state that locked him up for his drug addiction is now employing to educate other people. Yeah. So it's a, it's, a, it's a great story to tell in there. So we're just trying to educate people to bring the accidental death numbers down. Here in Australia, the number one question I get asked, oh, is that a thing here? The accident, like... It's kind of like the, the, the packets of pills that are in your cupboard above the sink or in the pantry or in the top drawer, like in every family home. It's like there's some little killers in there because if you take them wrong or in the wrong situation or with the wrong secondary substance, like you're asking to, for some serious trouble, right? Correct. Yeah, that's right. This, and that's what we see here in Australia with the, the statistics where they are. It's 142 people a month die of accidental drug overdose. 70% of those are, have prescription medications involved. 
So it's a large percentage of people that unfortunately aren't meaning to end up with that result. Mm. But as you say, they don't have the knowledge that, you know, here's the risks if you do take this medication and this medication together. Something that blew my mind was, uh, it was with either Vicodin, Oxycodone, any class 8 opioid, you shouldn't eat grapefruit because it rapidly rapidly enhances the absorption. The absorption. Wow, yeah, because it vasodilates yeah. acid. So oh. simple things like that, that's part of the content and what we're yeah. doing. So this all culminated into us... <laughs> it's like, to... don't, don't have a can of beetroots before you have the opioids. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the biohack for all bodybuilders. You want to get, get big, have some beetroots yeah. after your workout and yeah. or before. Yeah. Yeah, so this all culminated into, right, we need to put together. So the way, what we ended up creating in Preventum is sort of a platform. Now, it's easy when you hear technology platform to think of, oh, Amazon, Facebook, you know, Instagram, oh, social media platform. No, no, we're not that. It's the, it's the platform that fits exactly what we set out to create, where we have this challenge around prescription medications. Also, other things, though, like Xanax, Adderall, etc., that... We need to get the facts to the people. Whether they choose, you know, what they choose to do is up to them. We're not out there preaching or saying, do this, don't do this. That's a big part of what we've seen that, that is wrong with some of the education that's being done. It's you're being spoken at rather than being... Don't touch the red button. Absolutely. Yeah. Rather than being related, related to about this stuff. So... So FEMD, Full Energy No Drugs, is our campaign that runs on the Preventum platform, which that's run now in the U. It ran around the U.S. alongside one of the longest-running uh, music festivals over there, which was quite cool. It's which been was, running in what's that? Which was uh, Vans Warped Tour. Yeah, which, awesome bands, big time. You know, extreme skaters. Yeah, bikes, absolutely. Everything. It's a cool crowd. It's a very cool into. crowd. It's, it's a very cool crowd and. Uh, Kevin, the guy that founded it, has always had a cause focus for that. So that was a really cool way for us to sort of pilot what we're doing in the US. But we've gone on since that to do our own stuff independently in a few different states. Rhode Island, uh, we did something over there which is which was pretty epic with the state government. And we just launched in Lexington, in Kentucky, semi-recently. But uh, we're actually excited to be able to do something in our own backyard now. So we've been hanging out in the States, making some real positive impact and change there, but FEN will be launching here in Queensland, starting with the Sunshine Coast, South Burnett and Toowoomba. So it feels really good to be able to do something here as opposed to just be having the effect over there. Mm. It's also much more relatable than for people that live here. So uh, yeah, FEN will be launching very shortly and obviously you guys are, are playing a a huge role in that as well which proud to be is amazing I think it's I want to tap into I guess the awareness of both both children oh no not I guess not children but teens like give them a bit of credit they're, they're starting young adolescents yeah and also parents because we've got a good mix of both yep. that listen to this it's like you know they whether you're you know the young footy player who's taking some pain medication yeah, or you're getting injured, yep. they're getting injured or yep. mum who's having some you know Xanax or Valium to relax a bit yep. like just the potential dangers of what that creates getting into that habit of being on these drugs yeah. because whether it's you know and I, I think the, the big shock to my mind was the correlation between illicit drugs and then the power of prescription meds yeah. so it's like you know if mum's taking Valium or if the young kid's just taking some painkillers or sleepers or whatever it is what that can lead to it's it's really interesting so i have conversations and i hear it a bunch around yeah you know pill culture fine but i'd never you know i'd never touch heroin like that's but some of the facts that we have some of the what we know and what we educate people on oxycodone or or, you know something similar to endone like oxycodone class 8 opioid is around 30 to 40 more times addictive than heroin. That's crazy. So, so something you can get over the counter. So we don't begrudge people being prescribed that that are in acute pain. My grandmother in the last days of her life was, was on a whole elixir of opioids and that's the intended purpose. Yeah. Keep someone 
out pain free, you know, in the last days or hours of their life. Yeah, in extreme cases. Hundred percent. That uh, so, but um, but at the other end, being prescribed it legitimately, you just need to know the facts. So we don't beat up on the doctors. The doctors are doing their job and prescribing based on the symptoms that that they see. It's up to all us as individuals to empower ourselves, ourselves with the knowledge and facts to know that. The Centers for Disease Control, who's the global authority on this stuff, says you shouldn't take a Class A opioid for more than four days in a row. They shouldn't be prescribed for longer than a four-day script because day five onwards, the percentage likelihood of you becoming dependent skyrockets. So you're taking a week, two-week script of this stuff. I've spoken to a lot of people who've gone, I wondered what was wrong with me after just trying trying to come off my endone or trying to, Mm. like, that makes sense now. So it's just that awareness is missing around this stuff isn't bad, but not having the awareness, not having the facts to make a, a, a um, not educated decision, a decision, an informed decision. That's what we're looking for. That's maybe what those 142 people each month aren't getting to do. Maybe they're not getting to make an informed choice. It's up to them what they do. So that's our whole goal with FEM, to bring it back here to Australia and Queensland, is to, not in a, like I said, not in a don't do that, you shouldn't do that, because that's part of the problem, is there's so much stigma around it. It's fine, if you've been prescribed that and you've got a challenge, that's okay. There's, unfortunately, there's, there's quite a big stigma attached to taking some of these things, which I think that's part of the problem as well, because as we know, stigmas make it harder to then have a conversation with someone about it. It's something like FEM, that's where having, you know, streetwear, having a simple plan with one of the um, one of the bands that really adopted this, which doesn't mean a lot to Gen Z. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to some of the, you know, my that's that was that was the band too, going through high school. Um, yeah, but they're and they're probably like a generation that's lived it as well. So they've come yeah. through and they're ready to speak about it. Whereas yeah. like some of the Gen Z bands are still in that like party phase. That culture. And the young yeah. culture, so they're not having that awareness of they probably don't have you know if they get a hold of this knowledge they're like holy shit what are we doing yeah we're seeing that a little bit already like um unfortunately there's a lot of cases of accidental overdose when you start to look through music through actors prince Heath ledger chester bennington you know the the list goes on mac miller Mm. um uh, juice world more recently it's it's sad but it's also i guess some of that uh, subculture or SoundCloud underground rap scene, you know, praise it. They, they, they sort of praise it, right? Which I don't sort of. There's there's songs about doping up on Zannies and yeah, that's right. You know, getting all lucid and like it's like this painkiller culture. There's definitely that definitely exists. Yeah, which I suppose that's the other end of the scale. That's what we're facing, right? Mm. That said, there's definitely with the with the last you know. Juice World, there's, we've definitely seen a shift in some of the conversation and culture with those uh, other artists, other people that associate going, okay, I think it might be time to... Uh, Start cracking the camera. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Having this conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And being aware of your own behaviour. Yeah. What are some action steps that people can take? You know, like, I guess, what's the, what's the go? Yeah, so Fen, Fen will launch here around end of March. And so it is app based. So yeah, anyone with a smartphone, yeah, yep. download Defender. Um, really important, like it's super user friendly. Like you can do it with your kids. There's yeah, quizzes absolutely. there, and you know, yeah, parents parents want to learn more about this because, especially like my parents, when I went through my ACL reconstruction, I guarantee they didn't have this. But I was popping like, I reckon it would have been six to eight of those things a day, and I was so sloshing off my head, laying in bed just to down the, the pain. Mm. I was on that stuff for like nine months. Yeah, wow. Well, yeah. You know, it doesn't, says so much to say that a year later I was taking press pills and MDMA and like chasing these hits because my body was so chemically addicted to this, this thing. Unfortunately, that's too, all too common of a story where it started legitimately and you get to the point where the doctors are going, sorry, but you can't have this anymore. Mm. And yeah, unfortunately, if, if you become dependent, that's tough. You, you, like you say, you're gonna to turn to something else to seek out the same feeling. So, so what what can people do is just uh, seek out some information. Check out the the fan website, wearefan.org. 
when the app launches. Obviously, you guys are, are playing a role in that, so a bunch of most of the people listening to this will get access. Um, and have a conversation, like start the conversation. If you're unsure, talk to someone about it, because unless unless there's conversation, there's the walls are going to go up. The stigma is still going to be there. That exists not only for you know not only for illicit or prescription drug use and abuse, but also other mental behavioural health challenges as well. That that starting that conversation, making it okay to talk about, which that's something that the clothing and different things is like cool shirt. Oh, full energy what, no full drugs. Energy. Tell What's me about that, 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 that. That's interesting. So yeah, um, but yeah, seek out the information. Just just be aware so you can make informed informed decisions for yourself and for your kids. For sure. Good stuff. I'm proud of the uh, the movement and what's happening with it. What's uh, to wrap us up? What's some advice that you would give your younger self, being through, you know, that initial trauma and then the change in behaviour and then experiencing that development scene, coming through the, you know, the technology world and now into the point where you get to impact people's lives in a positive way. Like if you got to have a chat with that young Linda and yeah, yeah. You know, what's going on bud and be able to say something what would you share it'd be speak your mind and, and do it now or take action now they're the two simple things that would have changed the path completely to my younger self of actually speaking out I knew I had good ideas I knew I had great I knew I can contribute in a positive way to, to lots of different situations and didn't so it'd be it'd be it'd be speaking out but then taking action on stuff as well, as in do it now. We were chatting earlier about the, the gunner, you know. Wasn't necessarily that I was a gunner, I wanted to do it, but I just didn't, I didn't speak out, right? Mm, you, didn't even, you didn't even say gunner. Exactly. <laughs> it was just like holding, holding your tongue. Correct, I didn't, didn't even get to the gunner. So, uh, yeah. Do it now, speak your mind, be positive and present. That'd be the three things. Huge. Good to, good to sit down and have a chat with you, mate. I've it been, is. I've uh, been waiting to do this. I think we're going to have to do episode two because there's so much in this and I want to dive a bit deeper. But thank you for taking the time. Pleasure. And, uh, yeah, for everyone listening, jump on, you know, grab the Fend app, download it, and there's you know abundance of knowledge and awareness that needs to be created around this because it's a serious challenge within our world that isn't really spoken about. So thanks for all the good work you're doing. and yeah, Thanks for your help with it. Appreciate it. Keen to see where it goes and how we can help so go thanks man enjoy have a good day we'll see you later see ya